I'm so excited to be here with both of you. This is my first podcast led by, uh, well, no, I've done, this is, I've done one podcast with a man interviewing me, and I guess I've done one podcast with two people interviewing me, but the combination of double male energy here, <laughs> I'm loving it already. You gotta watch out, it's strong here. Yeah, we- A lot in this guy. <laughs> before we actually dive off into it, is there anything that's off topic that you don't want us to ask you or get into? Everything, everything is green light. Okay, all right, cool. We figured. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I think I ran into your your social media. I don't know if it was Instagram or if it was TikTok. You were doing how to keep monogamy hot. And then yeah. I saw I saw I saw that. I saw a couple of that and I was like, oh, this girl's interesting. And then I saw the kid ones. Um, mm -hmm. like how to make your kids do stuff around the house. And yeah. then so I clicked on your profile and then I, I saw the, your book. And then that just piqued my interest right away. So we both, um, thank you so much for sending over the audio book. We both listened to it and, and we love all the details, your energy in the book. I'm so glad that it was you reading the book too. Yeah, it's a big yeah. deal. You gotta yeah, that was, that was important to me to narrate it um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, narrating it, because I have a performance background, I was a figure, competitive figure skater and then a figure skating coach and choreographer. Um, every, every way of delivering information sort of has a different energy about it, right? There's like talking in person. There's writing a text to somebody. There's making a video message that you send to a friend or that you share on social media. And then narrating the audiobook was my opportunity to sort of relive the story because I, I wrote it months ago. It was the first time I had read it since I finished it a year ago, actually. Yeah, it was spring 2020 when I finished it. Um, and it, it helped me just get a little deeper into the story in a fresh way right before other people were going to be experiencing it. Yeah, agreed. I don't think anyone could tell that story or your story like you could. Um, so it's perfect that you did it. How how was it reading it back after all that time writing it and editing? Was it was it the same book? Um, it was better. <laughs> it was better actually, uh, because it had been a whole year since I finished that final draft, and that was the draft that got me two agent offers within weeks, and then I signed with the agent that was the most excited about my book, and then both my in-laws got COVID. And you know, there's the storyline, there's one of the storylines in the book about, <clears throat> excuse me, there's one of the storylines in the book about how I managed um, comfortably and uncomfortably trying to assimilate or at least like get by in a Greek Orthodox family because I was the first non-Orthodox woman to ever marry in. So my in-laws both falling ill right after I got representation for the book that was partly about them was really interesting. Um, so, so much life happened, right? We're all locked down in pandemic. Um, Manny's working from home. We're, we're, homeschooling now by accident rather on, than on purpose. Like all of these things are happening to go back and revisit the story. I was like, wow, I'm, I really love how I told it because 
that's that's the thing. We all have experiences that happen in life, but the way that we shape it in order to offer it out to other people so they can connect their own dots. You know, when when you share a story, it really isn't yours anymore. And I was really happy with how I put it together that other people could relate to it in ways that were really felt supportive to them. Were you a little nervous putting yourself out there? Um, you know, that, that's very vulnerable, right? Uh, putting your, your story out there. How that? Oh, how was that? I'm scared shitless every day. Um, every single day. <laughs> someone said to me like, oh, you, you must give like, you must have like no fucks left to give. And I was like, oh my God, no, I still, I still have all the fucks and I give them all the time. And they're like, oh, I wish I had your balls. And I was like, I need to sprout a new pair of balls every day because I'm always scared, but I'm getting more comfortable doing it anyway. I'm, I, I tried to write this book as a screenplay because I thought there's no way I can admit that these things actually happened to me. Like there's no way. I got, well, first I learned how to write a screenplay, which was really cool because I don't know if you guys know this, your listeners know this, but a screenplay is short. It's only a page a minute. So it's like 90 pages for a feature length film. And I thought 90 pages, like that's short. Like that would be easy. So I got about halfway through writing it and then I put it away. And my husband, Manny, had been the only one who read it. And every movie trailer we saw or movie we watched in the next two years, he said to me, Ash, babe, why don't you finish your movie? It's way funnier than anything else we're seeing. And I realized eventually that the reason I couldn't finish that was because I really did want to own up to this story. I had a feeling it was going to resonate with people and that they would want to put a face to the story. You know, they would be like, oh, I felt that before. Or we've gone through that same struggle in our marriage, or we've had a Brad, or we've had an Amber, right? And and I wanna I wanna just know that like someone else got through it and they're okay. Um, so that that was a whole new conversation with my husband when I when I decided I wanted to tell it like it was and really let people know it was nonfiction. So so are are y'all currently because I think what you said a lot of couples go through that stage. You got married when you were really young. And, um, you know, couples probably come to a state where it's kind of a slump in their marriage. So they want to experiment. So is that pretty much where y'all were and why y'all started going to, um, so what is the official word? Is it swing clubs or swinger clubs or it's like swinger sex clubs. Okay. So it could be called like a swing lifestyle club or a sex club. So here's the thing. We have always been really open about sex, which is interesting well it's not surprising for me because i grew up in a really progressive sex positive home in canada he grew up in a greek orthodox family where he didn't even know the greek word for sex like it wasn't even said it was only like you marry a virgin okay like that's all that's all that he was told about sex and when i met him i was like so what was the plan for finding a virgin like when you were in your mid-20s to marry like were you going to be like a creep and like like, you know, go by middle school. Like, where were you going to find this Greek? What, what kind of Greek myth is this? Anyway, but I think that's one of the things that my husband really liked about me, that I was different and that I was open about my body. And, okay, I, I was a coach my whole life. So I, like, got paid to tell people other people what to do. So I am not shy about being bossy in bed. And my husband loves it. 
because ever since the first time we were ever together, he could tell, wow, like I'm really satisfying her. Like I, I, I liken it to like Leonardo DiCaprio, like on the front of the Titanic, right? And he's like, I'm the king of the world. That is the look I see in my husband's face whenever I have an orgasm <laughs> because he, <laughs> So I'm not shy. I'm not shy saying yes, this, no, that, because it gets us like the end justifies the means. Right. And we get to a really good place. So we were really open about sex from the beginning. We met right at a college. First job at a college. I was I have a degree in exercise physiology from University of Manitoba in Winnipeg. He has the same degree from Temple University in Philly, and he played D1 college football for Temple, too. Okay, so we meet at this job in New Jersey. We hit it off. We tried to be friends for like two minutes, but within a couple months, we were already living together and we had our first mortgage within like nine months after that. Okay. So we jumped in and it was like hot and heavy and amazing. And he was like, oh, I have this woman who like likes to talk about sex. So we were always really open talking about sex and we were always really open, like, oh, you know, like monogamy, like, is it, is it like the only way we're like, eh, I don't know, like maybe we'd be open to like something a little bit more exciting, like on like a casual basis. Okay. So that was a conversation from the time we were dating. We went to one sex club when we were just engaged and it was, and we didn't, we didn't hook up with anybody else, but the atmosphere was unbelievable. And he and I, like I said, we bought our first piece of real estate together 11 months after we met, we were like playing grown up. Like, you know, we were adulting before adulting became a verb and so the idea of going out and having fun now that we were grownups was like, it, it seemed almost like fantasy, right? So we had an incredible time at that first club. And then I tell the story in the book, it closed down in a very dramatic fashion. I'm on a podcast. You're going to have to put in that password <laughs> or ask daddy. It's, it's, you're going to have to wait then, my love. Close the door. Only my youngest. That's okay. I, I, I have three kids. They're 14, 12, and 8. And the 8-year-old is very, very smart, but he doesn't like, like what knocking means. He's like, <laughs> you know, like Penny? Kinda, Penny? Yeah. Penny off like Big Bang Theory? Yeah. That's, that's Nico. Mommy? Mommy, mommy. <laughs> so that was just an interruption there. No worries, no worries. So my husband and I, we went to that. Well, my he was my fiance at the time. We went to the club. It was amazing. Then it shut down in very dramatic fashion, like this, like expose news story. And we were like, oh, okay. I guess we're just gonna get back to the work of being grown ups. Ten years later, we have three kids. We've built our careers. <sighs> We have, we are both, because I was raised in figure skating and he was raised in a traditional Greek family. We are both very good at not complaining. We're both very good at just making things look good, even if they don't feel good. So we got to a point in our marriage where we were like, we were like expert tag team parents. We were great business partners. Um, and we would meet up in the bedroom once or twice a week and have satisfying sex because, like I said before, I'm bossy in the bedroom. So every time we get it on, it's good. Okay. And he, and he, he, he he's a quick learner. And <laughs> I, I am too, right? We're both. Like, we both can take some credit for this. But 
but we were feeling disconnected. Like there was nothing like for the two of us, everything was about our careers or our kids. So when our youngest was old enough to go for sleepovers with his big brothers to the grandparents' house, it was my husband who said, hey, like I actually searched online and there's so many clubs now. I mean, surprise, a decade later, right? There's even apps for finding other couples to hook up with. Like there are all of these things. And it wasn't spontaneous. We talked about it for probably a year before we decided, yeah, let's just go back and see because that was the only time we remembered having having like a really good time. We're not like partiers or anything. Um, both of us barely drink. So we decided to go. We thought we were going because our marriage was rock solid, but we just needed a way to like blow off some steam, not even interacting with other people, just like going out and doing something fun. And neither of us rock climb or golf. So we thought there's nothing else. There's nothing else in the world that we could do together that we would both like, except go to sex clubs. I like, I like how you mentioned that when you were there at the sex clubs compared to other clubs, that the women treated you a lot different. Like they're at the sex clubs, like everyone was giving you compliments, like complimenting your dress. And I think the guys were nice too, um, that, which is something completely different, right? It is unbelievable. So people who have never been to any kind of like kink um, or ethical non-monogamy type event would think sex club, okay, this sexually charged environment, it's probably so creepy. Like people probably have their hands on you. No, P humans know how to behave. Humans know how to treat each other with respect. Um, and when you walk into a sex club, if you look super hot, everybody's so happy that you're there. <laughs> <laughs> because even if they're not planning to hook up with anybody else, wow we may get to watch these hot people have sex later in the night, you know, cause there are lots of big open spaces and even the closed rooms, like there are little um, shades on the windows that you can keep. So you walk in and everyone's like, we're so happy you're here. And the women are, there's not the competitiveness that there is at a regular nightclub. Um, it's like, you're gorgeous. I would like to be your friend. Welcome. People are just really open. It's like um, it's like a neighborhood block party where everybody's just so excited that the neighborhood is together. And the men, and I tell this story in the book, like everywhere I go in real life, well, before pandemic, this is one of the things I love about pandemic, that men don't touch me in public, like inexplicably. You know, if somebody's trying to pass me at the grocery store or in a train station or a restaurant or even like a, a function with like family and friends, without fail, men will put their hand on my back and like squeeze past me. Okay, even though they can pass by other men without touching them, they're like, hey, bro, like they use their words to like get their attention or, or they go the other way. Um, in a club, I never had a man touch me without first having a conversation. Like if they were squeezing past me, they would lift both hands in the air. Like if they had drinks and they would be like, excuse me, they would make eye contact and get past because like where consent is key. So nobody has, nobody has the um, flexibility of pretending they don't know what consent is. Right. You, you also said that um, like when you were meeting other couples, 
the woman would come up to you first and the man would shake your husband's hand first before, you know, introducing each other to each other. I thought that was big because usually that doesn't happen. Like if couples were to go downtown in Houston right now and a girl goes off by herself, like good luck, right? <laughs> I, okay, you, you, you both are smart. You are picking up <laughs> on very important details. Yes, that is what happens. There's this like code of respect and conduct that nobody teaches you. Like you don't have to take like a sensitivity course before you go, sensitivity training before you go in. There's no like list of rules besides consent is key and there are security guards around and they're like, if you know, if you break any of these rules, like you will get booted. I never saw an altercation. I never saw a fight. Like people are there for a good time. Um, not to be, not to be a-holes to anybody. And yeah, that's the way it is. Women make that first contact because I think that's sort of the, the way that feels a little bit uh, less threatening, a little more comfortable. And there were so many times that we just talked to other couples at clubs. And I love when I first meet someone, if they're like, hi, my name is this. Would you like to hear my deepest, darkest secret? I just love going into deep <laughs> conversations right away. And that's what we got. That's what we got at clubs. That was one of the things like their communication with each other and their communication with anybody they want to engage with or even be friendly with is really at a deep level right from the start. Yeah. So is there, is there, is there less emotion involved um, since it's just kind of a hookup? Is it, uh, is it just business whenever you, you know, when you get in the act? This is a fabulous question. And this is one of the reasons that I don't call myself a swinger because I think we need to um, reserve that term for people who did it, do it well. And I did it very poorly. I am the world's worst attempted swinger. I broke every rule in the book immediately. Like, you know, from reading the book, one of the first things I did was fall in love with someone else. I think that I think the idea is that you just go into this for casual interaction because we had, my husband and I had just put one foot in front of the other and gone through so many motions of marriage. And there were so many fundamental things that we ignored or swept under the rug, like our experience with figuring out what we were going to do as far as religion and spirituality with our family is a main storyline in this book. Um, there was like a gag order on talking about anything about religion. So there were all of these things we just ignored and compartmentalized. And we were like, oh, we're, we're good at these things. When you get into this kind of situation, really quickly, all the cracks in your foundation show you can't ignore the things you would like to ignore. People ask me like, what's the best thing about the swing lifestyle? And I'm like, it's hot. And it'll teach you things you don't know about your relationship. And they say, okay, what's the worst? And I say, it's hot. So it will distract you from your regular life, like immediately. And it'll teach you things you don't want to know about your relationship. I immediately, it was like, we were looking at our marriage through a microscope and with an aerial view at the same time. And everything we wished wasn't true or we had tried to ignore just like rose up, um, including the fact that I was really, really unhappy with the level of our communication and our emotional intimacy. Like my husband hadn't told me he loved me for 10 years, but as a figure skater, 
it's not about things being okay. It's about your ability to make things look perfect. So when your body is screaming, no, you keep going. When your mind is telling you this is not right, you ignore it. And those are the things that make you better at that sport. And it's not even a sport where you can work hard and be sweaty and whatever. You also have to look pretty and you have to smile. So I was really good at all of that. So much so that it was hard for me to admit to myself what wasn't as good as it looked like, wasn't as good as I made it appear. And as soon as I started getting this emotional connection from another man, his name's Brad in the book, I realized, wow, I like that. Wow. I think I even need that. Okay. I thought that kind of romantic demonstrative love was like for fairy tales and teenagers because I had a really affectionate boyfriend in high school, but I thought like, that's not for real life. Like that's, that, that's not the way mature people have relationship. And I thought, wait, what if, what if there are all these people in the world right now that actually have like a loving adult relationship? And I was so eager to become a grown up that I just married the first nice guy I met out of college. Is it, I imagine it's somewhat of an illusion though, when you go to the clubs, because you're going to get the best version of that person because it's temporary. So you're living with your husband that, you know, has to live with you every day. And then y'all have to work with each other and it's a relationship, but then you go and you get this perfect person or perfect couple that are not that person all the time. Talk about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I fall in love with Brad so that, and, and he's falling in love with me. We're at this point, we've gone to clubs a few times and I'm like, okay, this is hot. And I would actually like to have some interaction with other couples, but I don't want to be hooking up with like rando strangers at a club. Like I don't, and this is pre pandemic now, now, like now people would be like, oh my God. Well, I don't know. Maybe people are just ready to get back out there. And they're like, man, I'll French kiss a stranger. I don't know. But I didn't even want to get a cold. Like I didn't want to get a cold. So I didn't want to get anything like that. And I didn't want to end up like, tied up in someone's basement, like some weirdo who then like, you know, tries to traffic me. Okay. I'm making a joke about trafficking. That's not, not, that shouldn't be joked about, but I was like, okay, what are the ways that I would really be unsafe in this situation? So I thought, okay, if we could meet another couple who seem like normal people and also have kids and like, you know, are responsible citizens and contributors to society and, and we hooked up with them, that would be fun. So we meet this other couple and immediately the other wife, okay, so first of all, dating another couple is just as confusing as you would think it would be. <laughs> okay, a double date when you're actually dating each other, yeah. Bonkers, chaotic from the beginning. The other wife, Jess, calls it immediately that her husband and I are falling in love. The first time they're at our house, she says, so we, and she motions to Manny, are, are just here for sex, but the two of you, you're, you're falling in love over there. And we're like, <laughs> and she kind of laughs it off because she's thinking like, and she was amazing. That was one of the hardest things for me. If I would have met her in a different situation, she and I would have been friends. Like she, she may have been one of my best friends. She was incredible, but I was more interested in jumping her husband's bones than being her friend at that time. Because when he was giving me attention, I was like, oh, how do I get more of this? What would it feel like to have sex with somebody who like adored me this much? I just went all in 
really did, quickly. Did you and Manny talk about that during the time? Did y'all have those discussions? Like, did he point blank ask you, do you love Brad? Did y'all have those types of, of difficult talks? We did not have those. Okay. We did not have those difficult conversations then. And Manny was really not at a point in his own vulnerability or communication where he would like pose a question like that, but he could tell I was falling for Brad. Definitely. And I definitely knew. And Manny didn't seem to care that I was falling in love with someone else. If anything, it was sort of like, Oh, Mm. he's giving her the attention that I can't, like, I can't figure out how to give this attention. So maybe, maybe she'll be happier and more satisfied. And I started to think like, maybe we're not cut out for monogamy. Like maybe he's my good, like fellow householder and I need a boyfriend on the side, but I felt like I was insane. Like I, it was so intoxicating and we all know this, I think from when we first start dating somebody and you're like, the, the dopamine is just surging through your body. And I mean, nature does this on purpose, right? Because nature hopes that we procreate. But when you're trying to actually parent your children and keep up a marriage and you're getting, literally, I would get like 100, 200 texts a day from Brad, like telling me I'm gorgeous and funny. And like, it wasn't, and sometimes they would be sexy, but it was like, oh, you said that funny thing yesterday. And like, Manny hadn't even told me I looked nice in like 10 years. So I was, I was really loving it and overwhelmed in a big way. And Manny was like, sort of just letting it kind of play out. That, that seems to happen that like the door to, to cheating, that's how it happens, right? As the compliments come and it's usually, it's usually the guy doing it to the, the girl where, yeah you know, a, a woman is probably stressed and dealing with kids or something. And then there's a guy who just probably wants to hit it and quit it, but the grass looks greener on the other side all the time. It really does. And this goes back to what, what you both were asking about, okay, you know, you have this real life with somebody and then you're seeing this like sort of surface or fantasy version of someone else. This is one of the reasons I wished I had had sex with Brad right right away. It sounds weird that this person I'm not in contact with, I wished it would have gone further physically sooner. Okay, because I love my husband and our marriage is like way better than it's ever been. And and he, he has heard me say this before. My relationship with Brad stayed on the fantasy plane for so long um, that we avoided all awkwardness uh, figuratively and literally that could have demystified it for me, could have like taken me out of that fantasy sooner, but it was really something, even when we decided, okay, this is too complicated. We can't see you anymore. For a couple years afterwards, I was like, that is maybe the only person in my adult life who will actually love me and I can't be with them. And I was in a really dark place. I was, and I just tripled the size of my business. I was like performing and executing at a very high level outside. But inside, I was so confused and so ashamed because I didn't want to tell anybody my marriage isn't as good as it looks. And here's how I know, because we started going to sex clubs. I mean, so I was really alone in all of that, which was hell. And also, it was the reason I wrote the book, because I don't want anybody else to be feel that ashamed and that lonely 
and not have someone or something they can go to to help them find the way out. Are you getting couples coming to you now and and asking for therapy advice almost or or sex advice or what what are some of the craziest questions that that come to you? Okay, this is wild. This is wild because I felt so alone during this process. I was just thinking like it will help people like me in that situation when they're lonely. Couples, so many couples are reading my book together. So many. And I think this is because of the content I started sharing last year. So I broke up. I broke up with my literary agent because I was so underwhelmed by having my work pitched and represented by someone else. And I had 45 days where I couldn't contact any other agents that I was like, okay, I can just share things on social media. That would be fun. Instead of like hoping the next thing I share will go viral and catch the attention of an agent or editor or be afraid that the next thing I post will like tank me and no one will ever, you know, be canceled and no one will ever want to do business with me again. So I shared my first video, how to keep monogamy hot. I, okay. Those 45 days where I was like, I'm just going to have fun. I got 55,000 new followers during those 45 days. Jeez. I had five followers on TikTok at that time, two of my kids and three of their friends. They were all pity follows. Like <laughs> Jack's mom's on TikTok. Yeah, we'll follow her. Okay. And then now, I don't know, I'm at like two, it goes up every day, 220, 240,000 on TikTok. But the thing is, men and women both started seeing my videos and sending them to their partners because they were funny or they were sexy. Here's, here's the thing. I coached figure skating for 23 years, mostly adolescent girls. When you are speaking to adolescents and when ice time is like $400 an hour, you need to get your message out quickly. It's almost like a stand-up comic, like delivering a little bit. You need to disarm the person. You need to give them the information you would like to share. You need to make it a little funny so you keep their attention. And then at the end, you want them to really internalize your point and on the ice, go execute it, right? Like all 20 or 40 athletes on the ice, I'd want them to do it. So that is what I use in my videos. Even on TikTok, most of my videos are 30 seconds. So there's something at the beginning that like people put down their defenses, even if I'm talking about a position for orgasms or, hey, here's an idea to mix things up. Just do oral sex for a week, a month, something. Here are the ideas. Um, It disarms people and they think, oh, she's just talking about like a new method for cleaning her oven or she's talking about the weather, right? I talk about it like it's no big deal. So people are more comfortable, even people who like normally wouldn't share a sex video with their partner. So this is what usually happens. People see one of my videos and then every 45 seconds for like the next half hour, they like a video, then they follow me and then someone with the same last name follows me. (laughs) because they've sent the videos to their partner. So, and these are the, I'm getting messages. Okay. These are the, these are the types of messages I get. Hey, I saw your video. My wife just had a baby two months ago and she feels, so these are from men. She feels terrible, terrible about her body. She like hates her body. And I think she's sexier than ever, but she thinks I'm full of shit. Like she thinks I'm lying to her. I am thinking I could tell her this and this. What do you think about this? Okay. So men are in my DMs all the time and none of them are creepy. Like maybe I got one message on TikTok asking me like how much to show me your feet and I blocked them. But man, you should have sold your feet. 
Just to show my feet. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, no. Um, but but I have about 80 conversations going in my direct messages a day. And over half of those are with men who are coming in to say like, hey, I, and whether they say I really love my wife or they just tell me the situation, I can tell they love their partner so much and they don't know who to talk to about it, right? But But through my videos, they're like, oh, I think I could message her and I don't think she would judge me. Sometimes men come in and they say, hey, I'm on anxiety medication and my I can't always get an erection. So I would love to bring in toys or I would love to perform oral sex on my partner more often, but they're like not actually comfortable with that. I, I love doing it, but she only lets me do it like once or twice a year. Like what are some ways that I can make her, again, make her feel more comfortable so that I could give her better satisfaction and take the pressure off me because you know I'm not gonna get an erection or be able to sustain an erection every time. Or hey, my wife and I were both raised in conservative Catholic families or evangelical families in the whole purity movement. In our relationship, we have always struggled communicating about sex because it's hard for us to even tune into what feels good in our body and then have that extra, you know, big leap of permission to then communicate and ask for it from someone else. So they've been sending my videos back and forth as like a jumping off point to have these conversations. You know, it's, it's funny, like nowadays, it seems like everything's on the table for discussion. Um, you know, we got these crazy music videos, um, that kids listen to talking about, you know, pussy and dick and all this yeah. crazy stuff, but there's not a lot of discussion, uh, you know, mainstream, uh, for helping marriages with their sex life. And it seems like that's your niche and that's what you're doing. It is. And it's sort of by surprise. Okay. Like it wasn't the plan. When I broke up with my agent, I was like, all right, I'm just going to like talk on videos like I talk to my friends in real life. Because some of these things that are my most popular TikTok and Instagram reels now were things I shared on my Instagram stories a year or two ago. And friends of mine were like, I wish you had that in your highlights or I wish you saved that because I want to share it with someone. But it was just like fleeting. Like this is okay. In high school, I was the friend who would, I was in Canada, birth control is like really accessible and overall sexual education is, is, is really great. Is, you know, much different than how it is in the US. Um, because in my opinion, giving kids great information and that's one of my video series, how I talk to my kids about sex. My kids are 14, 12 and eight. I would walk my friends down to the public health nurse to get on the pill before they ever had sex because I was like, okay, you're going to do it. And like, you know, we're going to, we're going to keep you safe. I was also that friend nine years old, my nine, 10 years old. My favorite conversation to have with my best friend's parents, their moms was to sit them at a, down at a table, ask them what they thought about the efficiency of condoms versus birth control pills. And <laughs> whether or not they had sex before they were married. And I thought this was like the greatest thing ever. Here we are having like a grown up conversation. It wasn't until my 20 year high school reunion that my friend Jamie was like, do you remember how you used to sit down my mom who's still Catholic, Ashley, she's still Catholic and ask her these questions. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, oh my God. And I didn't realize until that moment that everybody else was horrified. And I was like, this is the best afternoon ever. <laughs> so the fact, so when I just started making videos, like the way I talk to people in real life, about six months later, I looked back and I was like, oh, I couldn't have like grown and prepped my audience for my book better if I tried. 
I was just being me, being me. And then I would get so many comments and DMs that would say, okay, this, and then what about that? And I'd be like, oh yeah, I can, I, I have advice on that, you know? And I would make the next video. That's where most of my content comes from is like the people who are like, okay, could you elaborate on this? Or we have this problem, right? So now it's easy to make content because people are always asking me questions. Um, and this, this niche of helping couples is blowing my mind a little bit because I talk about it in my book. Whenever I would, I mean, this is just, this goes back to like women being competitive with each other from like what we were talking about when you walk into a club. This was even the case when I was at the playground with my kids when they were toddlers. If there was like a dad there playing with his kid and my kids would play with his kids, I like talking to anybody. So I would just be like chatting, 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 chatting. An hour later, he would like get a text from his wife, like, are you still at the park? And he's like, oh yeah, I'm talking to Ashley who lives like a couple blocks over. And she would be like, who? And then when she would meet me, she'd be like, what the fuck? What the fuck? You're hanging out at the park. What is happening, right? So I would be like, I was like, shit, they, they assess me first as a threat before they like get to know me. There's, you know, something with like, you know, seeing people through screens that, that th and the disarming, I think, of just like talking about things normally and me, you know, being on my Instagram stories, like with no makeup and my talking about my pimples I get around ovulation, that the, the defenses are down and men and women both are like, I like her. She's cool. She's got good information. And I think like she's actually sharing this because like she cares and they're finding it really helpful. Definitely. I think you're really good at normalizing these topics and uh, they're still very much taboo and it's a great way to, to have a book, you know, just something uh, on the topic. But it's like you uh, opened this door to maybe perhaps like a self-help book uh, for sex or, or even like YouTube videos, like you're already doing the videos on your Instagram, which are, which are funny and interesting and, uh, informative, but do you think you'll break off into that realm of, of self-help and helping people online and like, and doing all that? What I found coming from figure skating. So I retired from my career as, and it's funny to hear the word retire because I'm only 40 years old, but in the world of professional sports, when you are done with that sport, you retire, right? So I retired from coaching figure skating two years ago, spring of 2019, and to focus on my writing, okay? I felt like a fish out of frozen water. I was like, here's this whole new industry. I came from an industry where I was an expert to this place where I don't know anything. I have no friends. I don't know shit what the hell I need to have a big, a big fancy agent or something to like open the door to writer friends. Cause I think when they meet me, they're going to, they're going to think I'm nice, but I don't know anything. Okay. What I realized really quickly is that from decades of coaching, I have developed the superpower that from the time I learn something new to the time I know how to teach it is five seconds five seconds. And this was because I coach synchronized skating. So I would have 20, 40, 60 athletes on the ice at the same time. If we're, if I'm running drills and I see one athlete execute a counter turn in a way that's super effective. And like, they have like different position with their shoulders or their balance on the blade, like, aha, 
everybody stop. I need to turn to the other 59 athletes and tell them what I just learned and how they can execute it too, in a way that hopefully most of them will sort of get it. So when I came into publishing, I saw immediately, well, I just, I assimilate information really quickly and I can communicate it in a way that sometimes people who have been in this industry for 20 or 30 years are learning things from me because they never had anybody like just bring it together and then deliver it to them, right? So now I coach 1600 writers. I realized wherever I go, I'm still a coach. I'm still a coach. So I'm even speaking at conferences on the future of writing. And I'm like, and I ended up starting my own publishing company and independently publishing my book. And it's selling like crazy for a self-published book. It outsold five titles on the New York Times bestseller list its first week. That's awesome. And I and I didn't make the list because the New York Times bestseller list is a curated list, which I knew I'm gonna have to like triple the sales or I'm gonna have to like beat the sales of like the number one to even like get on the bottom because it's not actually a bestseller list. It's sort of like what New York Times deems like the most influential books of the week, which is fine. So now I'm thinking, okay, so I'm coaching my writers and I'm getting all of these questions from couples and I'm wondering, okay, is it conferences? Is it webinars? Is it, I really love group teaching. So I get a lot of questions about like one-on-one coaching for couples and I haven't said yes to anything like that. So I'm trying to figure out what comes next because this book is opening up, is opening up a door I didn't actually expect as far as, um, couples coming to me together for support. Yeah. You're, it seems like you're, you're, you're definitely finding your calling. Um, it's your personality though. It, it shines through when, you know, on the audiobook. you can tell like, yeah, she's real passionate, whatever you do, it seems like you're going to throw in all your passion. Um, so it's, it's very infectious. Thank you for that. Absolutely. I, what I coming, coming from, writing or coming from coming from skating to writing and also the really traumatic and scary experience of both my in-laws getting super ill from COVID at the beginning of the pandemic. I've been in these situations that sort of overlapped with like, what do I do? And I was like, you know, life is too stressful for me to orchestrate any of this the way I used to when I performed on the ice. I'm just going to be me. And what, whatever happens, happens. And if people want to come to me, they get what more people have gravitated to me than ever, than ever. Cause I'm like, Oh, I, I'm not editing myself. I'm not censoring myself. I'm just being me. And it's, it's interesting because I'm 40 years old and I've been in a public role for a really long time, but there were so many expectations in that field of figure skating that I feel like I'm figuring out who I am really for the first time. And the more me I am, the more just off the cuff I am, the, the more people say, thank you so much, that helped me. Um, and with my in-laws, I was just me like crisis sort of feels like competition to me when everybody else is shitting their pants. I'm like, I got this, you know, my husband and his two brothers, his parents are super ill so quickly. Like 
my father-in-law, his fever was 103 and he was having hallucinations. And that happens to our middle son, Luke. Whenever he gets a fever, he hallucinates. I was out the door before he even got, got off the phone with his mom. He's like, Ashley's on her way, right? And I was like, after social distancing perfectly for months, I'm like holding my father-in-law and putting my head to his forehead because that's how I check my kids' fevers. You know, when I'm just, I'm realizing when I just live by instinct and I'm just myself instead of worrying what other people are going to think, it's more fun, it's less stress. And I think this is, I think this is, a lesson for everyone we all have we all have unique experiences and unique gifts that are going to just shine through when we stop worrying about what other people are going to think or the right way we should do something and when we can just just take one step towards that and then feel the warmth and then just feel the gratitude that comes back from other people. I wish we could all just be a little braver like that because, you know, just dropping those facades that all of us have, whether it's from our religion or our parents or those are the main ones, right? <laughs> even, even what siblings or whatever is going to think. Um, and I think that's that. That is what the book is helping people take a look at like, oh, what what if I just do this anyway, right? Even though I'm scared, even though I'm worried people are gonna judge me, like what would happen if I'm just a little more honest? That's a, that's a very good point. And, and you are, you're getting popular and, and you're gonna get to the point where you may have to think about what you say and stuff, but I don't think you should. I think you have a, a great personality and um, in a world of euphemisms, and uh, trying to beat around the bush, you're a, a blunt woman that people need. And uh, talking about sex, which is a, becoming more of a taboo in this world. So I think you need to be you 100%. But I do have a big question. And you mentioned a little bit in the book. With your experiences with uh, swinging and all this, and you, you kind of learn a lot getting in the shit. You know, learning you, um, experimenting with other people, and then learning more about your relationship would you recommend going through that journey uh, for another couple that are having issues? That's such a good question. That is such a good question. Um, when I was working with an editor early on in the writing process, she wanted me to really make a stand, like make sort of a declaration by the end of the book, whether or not it was a good thing we did this. And I said, I am not writing this as a cautionary tale. And I am not writing this as an endorsement of an alternative lifestyle. What I am doing is telling stories about the challenges and the fucking amazing opportunities that come when you are daring and honest. So for some couples, to be daring and honest and really dig in, that would be like, okay, we're going to go live in a van and, and travel cross, cross country for a year. That is the way we're gonna be daring and honest, right? For other couples, it might be opening up their relationship. It might be. For other couples, it may be taking in a foster child, right? Or so there are all of these things that sort of pull at us, like what if I tried that? Um, I get 
it was it was really interesting. Um, so many of my pre-orders came through my local independent bookstore, and I signed all of them. and And there were notes for personalization on them, and so many of them were from couples, and some were. We were in the swing lifestyle, similar experience to I think what you had. We've decided to close off that part of our marriage and just focus on the two of us. What's your advice for us? Okay. So I would write that advice. Some people come into my direct messages and say, hey, so we have been talking about this. I think we're like getting towards the step where we're going to, you know, go to a club or or meet up with another couple. What's your advice for us? As a coach, I never pretended to treat my athletes all the same because they all needed different things from me. So I think people will get from my book that the swing lifestyle was much too confusing for us, but was the most amazing catalyst for seeing the work we needed to do in our marriage. Right. And I'm, I'm honest too, in interviews that there are so many things we miss about going to clubs. It was hot. And to take, it's not just a date night. It's like, it's like a date 12 hours, right? Where you're just focused on your partner's self. There's, you can't take cell phones into a club, like just the two of you, like you're, you're, there's the getting ready. There's the driving down. There's being at the club. There's the hot sex. When you get home, there's the hot sex in the morning. There's like, it's like this dedicated time to the two of you and to pleasure. I mean, and so right now my husband and I are trying to replicate this because we got a sauna. So we're taking the kids for a sleepover and then we're going out for a nice dinner. We're coming back. We are having foreplay out on the couch while the sauna warms up. We are getting into the sauna again, like some body oil, sweaty, and then having sex. Like, so we're trying to replicate this in different ways. And it's like TBD, whether this is going to like feel hot enough for us. Um, because there were, I mean, there were things that it's so easy to get into like the monotony of adult life. It's like Groundhog Day, right? And there are so many things that we all do to numb ourselves or fill ourselves up that actually make us feel more disconnected from ourselves and our partners. Um, so I want all partners to make their own, the, or all couples to make their own choice on that. Um, period. <laughs> it's set, a swing club, I can imagine, is just such a, a high. And so you're trying to reenact this and it's like you're chasing the dragon. So the, the one up thing that you have to search for, it's, it's a, it's gonna be a hard road, huh? Well, it's, are we going to chase the high or are we going to dig the depth? Right. That that's the thing. Um, because we all, we're all like want, there's a writer and I can't remember it's Anne Lamont, um, says like, we're all born with a God shaped hole in our, in our beings, right? And we're trying to fill that up with something, whether it's our spirituality, whether it's our professional aspirations, whether it's like this family that is like so satisfied, we're all trying to fill ourselves up. And I think there are those two ways, like you can chase a high, which, and I'm not saying one is better than the other. I think that we have to do both. I just got back from a mini leg of my book tour in Detroit. That was a freaking high. That was, that was a high and I loved it. And I don't think highs are unhealthy, but also going into meditation, journaling about 
fears, insecurities, limiting, like thoughts that are coming up that were just subconscious and now are like coming into my consciousness and going deeper into what that means. And I try to figure out what I can learn from that. Um, the conversations that Manny and I have now are way deeper, way quicker. And I don't, I don't delay it. I'll just be like, pause. And I'll have it right there in the kitchen in front of the kids too. Um, so I think it's, I think it's that, that sort of up and down back and forth, but those are the ways that we can feed ourselves as long as we're staying present in it. As long as we know, okay, I'm choosing the high and chasing the high right now. And then I'll come back down to earth. And then this is when I'm going to go deep. That's a very good response. Um, I can't imagine going to book signing because I bet you a lot of people are excited to see you. You're like a, a spark of energy. Um, but my next question was, you know, the book's been out for a little while. Um, what's the ratio of good and bad feedback? And are you reading into the negative feedback if there is any? Yeah. Okay. So this is one of the things that um, just in getting to know myself better and feeling comfortable setting boundaries, um, these are some of the ways I've handled it. So I don't look at my Amazon reviews. Manny looks at them every day mm -hmm. and he sends me screenshots of ones that he thinks I'm really going to like. Um, the ratio of good feedback to bad feedback has been like a thousand to one, 10,000 to one. Like it's, it's remarkable. It is remarkable. I, the hardest, the hardest thing has been people close to me who read the book a year and a half ago. Now that they see that it looks like it's successful and it's continuing to go up, I think they're a little afraid of what that means for them. And they try to throw on me like, oh, but maybe it's a little selfish that you did this. Maybe it's I am scared every day, like I told you. I am scared that I just wrote this book to be um, salacious and to grab attention. But I go back to, okay, the times that I was the darkest, uh, the times that I was like, what do I do to get better? What do I do to help? Like, there were so many things in the world that were really breaking my heart around this time too. And I was like, all right, what, what can I do to help? Like literally in tears on my knees. And it was like, check your privilege, write the damn book. Those are the things you need to do. And so I asked myself every day when I was writing this, is this selfish or not? And it was like, no, I'm opening myself up. I'm opening my family up too to this potential backlash to trolling, to criticism, to whatever, because you know what? I don't, I don't, it's not that I don't care if people attack my family. It's like we can share our stories that should be shameful and embarrassing because we are in a safe enough and a privileged enough place that we are going to stay physically safe. We are, we have enough friends and family who support us and love us, that if a few people fall off, that is okay because I believe this and Manny believes this too. 
And my kids understand as much as they can from an age appropriate standpoint. Um, well, my 14 year old hopes it gets made into a movie because he wants to be an extra, honestly. <laughs> but from an age appropriate standpoint, they understand, hey, nobody ever really helped a lot of people by keeping themselves super safe. So I don't want other people to feel as alone and as shameful. I mean, because shame is dark. And I, I, I allude to it a bit in the book and my next book will probably go into a little more. I was in a really, really dark place. And I want to help anybody I can sort of get out of that because that's the only place that we can really offer mm-hmm. ourselves and be of service to other people. What's the, um, you know, you're mentioning your kids. What's the, I guess not feedback, but um, does your family feel weird of you talking about sex or do your friends kind of like hide their kids from your videos because you're talking about sex a lot? Okay. Such a good question. And this is one of the first questions that my husband Manny asked me when I said, I'm going to write this as a memoir and not as a screenplay. He said, okay. And he like thinks about things for a while before he says something. He said, okay, this is what I'm wondering. What if our what if other kids aren't allowed to come play at our house anymore? And I said, okay, that is a really interesting question and a valid concern. So I sent the book to all of my kids' friends' parents a year and a half ago and my neighbors and my grandmother and my parents. And I told everybody, hey, I'm really proud of this. It may be a little bit uncomfortable that I'm writing about these things, but I think it can help people period. I wasn't asking for feedback. I wasn't asking for permission. I made that really clear. My kids, friends, parents like us better now (laughs) because we, because of our, um, because of our privilege, because of our financial situation, because of our appearances, even we're the family who has like, you know, our kids are notoriously well-behaved in public. We have nice Christmas cards. Like it's easy to think like, okay, life is easier for that family than it is for us. So sharing how things really aren't easy and really aren't what they seem all the time. People have said to me, oh my God, we're so much more alike than I thought. Or I had a Brad or he had an Amber. And to see you guys talking about it and normalizing it, because honestly, let's be, let's be really clear a huge percentage of the population is not monogamous, but they do it in secret. It's called cheating. Okay. So when we're talking about ethical non-monogamy or even, you know, there are things in the book that really stray from that. So people ask me like, did you cheat on your husband? Did he cheat on you? And I'll say like, read the book, tell me your opinion. Cause we're kind of split on it. Like we each have a different opinion about whether the other person cheated. <laughs> we're like, oh, no. we're split. We're 50, 50. We're taking a poll. Um, <laughs> but just normalizing that even, okay, we have issues with fidelity, but Hey, we're still married and we're still like, you know, good people. And like, I coach soccer in our township, right? <laughs> it's like, um, So as far as what our kids know and understand, okay, another part of this too is that our house is a really safe place for kids to talk about things. And because I got paid to tell other people's kids what to do for decades, I am not shy telling kids who are visiting my house what to do. So when they're talking, and this, we have a lot of kids in our house all the time. If I hear a word that 
I've never heard them say before, or I think they maybe don't quite understand the meaning or the implication of using that word, I call a family meeting. So the family meeting is all the kids in the house talking with me in the kitchen. I'm like, family meeting. They all come in. I'm like, okay, so I heard you say the word rape. Do you know what that means? They're like, yes, mom. I was like, no, could can you tell me what it means? Or do you want me to say right now what it means? And usually they're like, you say it. You know, my kids are kind of rolling their eyes and the other kids around the table are like, oh my God, a grown up is talking to us about this. And I'll say, this is what this means. This is why we don't joke about it. And when the thing that you were saying to your friend, I think what you were trying to say was this. So here's like better word choices for what you were trying to say, like in that joke to them. But like, this is not a word we joke about because this is actually what it means. And then I'll text the parents of the kids who are there and say, FYI, this came up and this is what I said to them. And they are always like, holy shit, thank you. Right? Um, Because for a lot of them, they would just ignore it or they would just ground the kid or they would like, they don't know how to talk to them. I had to figure out how to talk to other people's kids about really hard things, about eating disorders, about abuse, about about a lot of things. Um, So... That, that's one of my superpowers. That's something I like. So people who cut, send their kids to my house, they love having their kids here. And they know too that I'm not going to hide something that, that comes up. I'm going to be really direct communicating it back to them. Wow. Um, I'm really interested in this book cover. How involved were you in the book cover? I, I appreciate the art of book covers and perfect name, just subtle, of course. Uh, I like the hair up. Like, what was your what was your vision for this? Okay, so I'm so glad you asked about this because I love the creative process, right? Like, I was a choreographer for a really long time. And, like, what you envision first and then what actually ends up being the finished product are, like, you know, it's, it's a whole process. It's, like, really... See, like the creation is ecological because like so many factors. Okay. When I originally started writing this as a screenplay, the movie poster came into my mind before I even put one word in the computer and it was swing. Some moms try to do it all was like the tagline that came to me. And it was me with three kids hanging off one side of me and three men hanging off the other. That's good. With, a fa- with the face, with the face, like, like, what the fuck did I get myself into? Right. And it's this, 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 this play on like, you know, mom's doing it all. Oh yeah. And I'm doing these dudes or whatever. Right. So that was what I pictured. Okay. To fit seven people on a book cover is really hard because I knew that I wanted that. What the fuck expression to be the main thing, because that, I don't know that for me was just like, people can relate to like getting into way more than you expected, right? This was during pandemic. So I set up models, I set up a photographer and it was actually a photographer who does movie covers. And he was like, okay, well, there are some ways that we could actually do this. Like maybe your face and sort of like, you know, like superhero uh, movie covers, like movie posters where, um, excuse me, you know, superhero movie posters where, you know, you see like some of the villains here and the rest of like the good guys here and there's a main image. He was like, okay, we could do something like that. It's during pandemic. His wife is actually working outside the home, this photographer. And she's like, why the hell did you commit to doing a shoot and this huge project during pandemic when you're home with our little kids? And then he ghosted me. 
Okay. Then I got new models, a new art director, the art director and one of my models got COVID. And I was like, all right. And I'm pulling tarot cards because that's part of my spirituality for like my, my, my brain is a really busy place. So, and I, and I like it that way, but I need to, this is why I spend the first couple hours of day of the day in meditation and prayer, because I need to just be quiet sometimes <laughs> and, and calm my brain down. So the rest of the day I can just go wild, but I don't actually burn myself right out. Cause I've done that before. So I'm pulling tarot cards on my, on my cover, like, okay, we're getting down to just a few months before the book comes out. I don't have a fucking cover. Okay. And I kept getting the nine of cups card, which is the wish card. It's like, you're going to get your wish. You're going to get your wish. Like, no, you know, just, just wait, just wait. Okay. And I had a lot of other work to do too. So I was like, all right, I'll just relax with it. And then one day I was like, all right, tarot cards. We're getting little, I'm, I'm dealing out the cards and I look at them and I'm like, this is my favorite tarot illustrator. And I would love for her to do my book cover. Contact her that day. I tell her my budget and I, I wanted to let her know I was serious. So I gave her a pretty high budget. I was like, but I need it done in two weeks. And she was like, uh, yeah. And it's not going to cost that much because we're going to get it done in two weeks. So she does digital collage. She does a lot of things. So she worked up a lot of digital collages with like men and kids and all of this stuff. And it was busy and it was a mess. And, but she did that because the photo, Manny took that photo of me. I keep pointing like this because the book is over there in my office. <laughs> Manny took that photo of me in our basement um, over Christmas last year. All right. And he took a whole bunch. I was like in little underwear because I was like, I don't know what the clothing is going to be on top. This was before we had the idea for any like roses or anything. And my hair was short at that time. Um, but one of the book covers that the designer proposed was that crazy hair, but there were like men and kids in my hair, okay? And I was like, that is crazy, but there's something about the hair blowing up. And my hair actually did look just like that, like in the book. I I chopped it all off when I retired from skating, like near the end of the book. Um, So we went back and forth on the colors and all of the things. And I was like, just take all the men and boys out and I think it, like the face and the hair gives enough of the craziness. And she was like, yeah. And I see maybe just like flowers over your breast. I was like, that's sexy. <laughs> um, it, it's too sexy for some things because I can't even advertise on Amazon because the cover is deemed too sexy. Oh, um, but I was like, I, I, I like this. So that it was a collaboration. It's not actually what I imagined except the face, but I'm really happy it's, how it came together. It's perfect. And I think y'all went through that process and it's subtle. It, it's, it's, it's great. I was thinking about when you, uh, sent the book out to all the, all the moms and I was thinking, what do moms watch? And I'm thinking it's Netflix series. And they're always about the craziest shit, like murder, all that stuff. And this is right up the alley, sex, murder, all that stuff. And then I was thinking, you know, how perfect would this book be in a series on Netflix? Is that, is that the idea? <laughs> from, from, from your mouth to the divine. To the ether. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I have pictured this from the beginning on screen, on screen. Um, that first that, that first scene, so for, for your listeners who haven't read the book, the first scene is at an invite-only sex party in New York City where we had to send in headshots, full-body photos, and a relationship bio. 
to get on the guest list. It looked like a casting call for The Bachelor. It was expensive, it was exclusive. I'm standing in the line, I'm standing in line to use the bathroom. And I just see that, I just see that as a scene, like it, it pans in, you know, over this party, and then you hear this voiceover. Standing in line to use the bathroom at a sex club is just like standing in line to use the bathroom anywhere else. And you're like, what is happening? Right? That's the way I that's the way I see it, right? And then um flashing back to like me as a little girl and then maybe like I see all of it as a as on screen and I would love for it to be a series because there are so many then opportunities to show like my relationships with friends my relationships with my greek in-laws there's so many ways to like build upon the characters one of my friends said the other day yeah I, i actually like don't believe movies anymore because how can all that happen in two hours because we're so used to the character development and the plot being fleshed out um episode after episode after episode that i think we are more of a streaming series type society right now. And every time a new streaming service is announced like Paramount Plus, I'm like, yep, because they're gonna need content. Yep. They're gonna need content. And, and because I have so many writer friends that I just found from being me, remember I didn't need some hotshot agent to be like, and now I am unlocking the door to a writer's community. So many of them have said to me, you're, you're going to get, you're going to get offers for film options for this. So that is really something I would love all capital letters love. Is that something where you would be interested in doing the acting for yourself? Um, so this is so funny because, all right, <laughs> my spirituality is a big part of this. And part of my spirituality is like tuning into things that are like a little woo woo, right? My tarot card reader who said to me, Ashley, this was years ago, you don't need to worry about how this book's going to get out into the world. You just need to make more videos. Don't worry about your right. Make more videos. And for about a year, she told me this. And she even told me specifically what videos. She's like, you know that advice to have sex at 5.30 p.m.? You need to make a video. Okay, yeah, one of my most popular videos, right? All right, she has said to me, but but I can't, but no one else is playing you. Like you're playing you. So, but that doesn't make sense to me like in a streaming service because I'm not an actress. We need a professional actress if it's gonna be a series, unless it's like some sort of talk show or reality type. And I don't really wanna do it. So I'm not sure how that's gonna play out. And I mean, it could just be, you know, my psychic knows things, but it could just be that she wants me in the series. So I don't know, I am really open to it. So, you know, that new sex over life or sex slash life show yep. on Netflix, yep. um, that was B.B. Easton is the author. That's actually her pen name. And I, but, uh, you know, I, I'm like, should I have used a pen? No, I'm glad I used my real name. I really am glad I used my real name. Amber Goldfarb, I think, plays this woman named Trina in the show. And I get a bunch of comments on that on TikTok, like, you look like Trina in sex slash life or whatever. I'm like, ah, maybe she could play me. Or people say Kristen Bell. I don't know. Um, I, I am just, I'm excited about all of this. And I know all of that takes a long time to happen, even after, you know, options are, are secured. So, but yeah, I would really love for it to be a series. It would great. It'd be great to be you though, as the main character. 
Um, <laughs> man, I was going to give you three, like before we wrap it up, three flash questions. And one of them was how often you got that you look like Kristen Bell. <laughs> so you took that uh -huh. away from me. So we have two flash questions, which I've never done flash questions. No. But so they're more about your ice skating. So the first one, were you able to do ever do a triple axle? Never. How, how, how many spins could you do? I could do double jumps. So I never landed any triple jumps. Wow. Triple's crazy. Were you, around, were you around during um, Tanya Harden and all that? You I were? was in high school. Oh. I was in high school. Oh, yeah. I was in high school. And I remember walking into my grandma's house and she's like, oh, honey, a skater just got hurt. And I saw Nancy Kerrigan screaming. Remember, she was like, what? I don't want to mock her, but she was screaming, why, why, why? Over and over and over. And then it was just like played on, on repeat. And we didn't know it was Tanya Harding for like, I don't know if it was a few days or a few weeks. Like it was like Jeff Galuli and the other hitman, henchman. Um, it was just like, you know, these two guys came in and hit her with the club on the knee. And I was like, this is crazy. Yep. All right. Last, last question since you took my third one. Um, <laughs> what's your favorite ice skating movie? <laughs> the Cutting Edge Toe Pick. Oh my gosh. I know that one. That one's nice. I thought you were going to pick Blades of Glory. No, I, I do. I, I do. I do like it. The, the, fly, the flaming lotus, flying lotus. No, yeah. I like cutting edge. I think I saw that with a boy I liked in, in junior high. So yeah, I like that one. That's awesome. Well, Ashley, it's been a, it's been a real pleasure. Where can people follow you on your social media accounts and where can they get your book? Yep. So my book is available. It's called Swing by Ashley Bernard. It's available everywhere books are sold. Buying from your local bookstore or bookshop.org is awesome because it supports small business in, in addition to supporting the author. I get the same amount of commissions regardless, royalties, regardless of where people buy it. So if they can support small business too, that's amazing. Also available on Amazon. The audiobook is going to be available in six weeks, but if people want to listen early, if they buy the paperback and send their order screenshot to me, and they can find that email on my website, ashleyrenard.com. And it's Ashley, A-S-H-L-E-I-G-H, Renard, R-E-N-A-R-D. They can listen to the audiobook early, just like you guys did. I am at Ashley Renard on Instagram and TikTok. I'm in my Instagram stories every day. I respond to every DM. So people want to get in touch just because I'm, I appreciate people following along and I appreciate when people reach out with a question or just to say thank you. So I respond to every message and they can get in touch with me over on Instagram. Well, it's been real fun, Ashley. And uh, I can't wait to see your, your Netflix series or your Paramount series coming soon, huh? <laughs> thank you guys so much. This was a blast.